Welcome to the Lodge Real Estate Home Truths Podcast. Join us as we speak the truth about home ownership, the housing market, and the place we call home, Hamilton. Come on in and make yourself comfortable. Welcome to this edition of Home Truths, and thanks for listening in. I'm Jeremy O'Rourke, Managing Director of Lodge Real Estate. Today, we're going to talk about a little bit of magic, namely how you can turn your section into two via subdivision. To be honest, there's no real magic uh, involved, but the whole process can seem like a little bit of smoke and mirrors to the average homeowner. To help you get an idea on how you can do this, and is it worth it? I'm joined by Philip Barrett, Senior Planner at Chill Consultants. So welcome here today, Philip. Thank you, uh, Jeremy. I'm pleased to be here. Just to cover off a little bit of housekeeping before we kick off, the information disclosed in this podcast is generalised and based on hypothetical circumstances. Before undertaking any work on your property, we recommend you seek professional, personalised advice. Advice that Philip can, of course, give you. Before we kick off, Philip, can I just get um, you to give a little bit of background on yourself so our uh, listeners can understand a little bit about you? Yes, I certainly can, Jeremy. Um, very briefly, I started my career off with the Department of Conservation, working on um, management plans here in the Waikato. I moved on to um, consultancy. I first started um, getting into subdivision and land use proper, moved on to a, an Auckland Council um, prior to the large merger where I was planning manager and compliance manager and dealt with some very significant $100 million plus subdivisions up there in South Auckland um, and then moved on to Christchurch City Council where I was the policy team leader. So I've worked on both sides of the, of the divide if you like so I've got a good understanding of um, what, how consultancy works and certainly how councils work and that helps me uh, in my everyday work with my clients. Plenty of uh, experience. We know we've got the right man yeah. uh, in the seat <laughs> to advise us today. Uh, one of our regular features is two truths and a lie. So, Philip, uh, I know you've got three statements prepared. Can I ask you to just read uh, those? And at the end of the podcast, we'll uncover uh, which one is uh, a, which one's a truth and which one is actually fiction. Okay. So, uh, the first statement is the subdivision process always requires a multidisciplinary approach. My second statement is subdivision always costs more and takes longer than you expected. And the third statement is subdivision is just a council process that when followed will always result in a desired outcome. I'm intrigued and interested to uh, find out which one of those is in uh, fact a lie later on. But if I'm thinking of subdividing my uh, property, uh, what what considerations do I need to uh, um, to take? You know, um, I believe you've got a couple of examples to share with us. Yes, I have, um, and and these are a real life um, a working example. And so, when I'm asked a question about whether someone can subdivide, and let's just define ourselves to uh, an urban subdivision environment as opposed to rural or commercial or you know, industrial. So in residential, the, the first question is, what zone are you in in the, in the city? Because you, um, that really makes a big difference in terms of what rules apply to you in terms of your ability to subdivide. So um, zoning is the number one question for a start once I know where the, uh, the site is. The second thing that's very important is, is to understand, well, what is the parent title area? How much land is in that title? And because that's very important too. Um, and the third thing uh, to consider right off the bat is 
where's, is, if there's a house on that site, where's that house located? Because that makes a very significant difference in terms of your ability to subdivide the site. If the house is um, more forward to the site and you have more room to the rear of your site, then that's a good thing. And conversely, if the house is more to the rear of the site um, and there's a lot more room in the front, that's a good thing too for, as a starting point only. Uh, if your house is right in the middle of your site, your urban site, that's generally not so good. And the other thing is, is the house close to one boundary or another? Because we have to consider when we do subdivision, we are creating two new allotments that will have titles issued. And we need access to that to the front lot and we need access to the rear lot. So the house location is very important. Um, in terms of area, because uh, councils like Hamilton City Council has a rule that says in the residential zone, residential one zone or general zone, you need at least um, 800 square metres. But there's a thing called net side area which says that you need to take out the land area for access. And that usually in the Hamilton City Council takes out of between 80 and um, 120 square metres. So this is your access to the rear of the site, um, uh, access for vehicles, pedestrians, cyclists, etc. So that means, as a starting point for your area, you're really looking at something close to 880 square metres to 900. If you've just got 800 or a little bit over, it's going to be significantly more difficult. So those are probably the three main things to understand about subdivision as a starting point. So if I'm an interested uh, homeowner and I'm sitting in my house and thinking, oh, well, I wonder, you know, I've got plenty of room out the uh, back, does that mean really my starting point needs to be, is my section around about 900 square metres? And, yep. and if it is, that's maybe when I might give you a call, Philip, Absolutely. and, and, and yep. you'd be able to determine all of these other factors uh, yeah. around the property. Yeah, I, I could quickly, over the phone or through an email, if you gave me a street address, I could very quickly cover these points off in my mind and say to you, I think this is more goer or it's less of a goer. Okay. And, um, and then, of course, there's a huge amount of detail after that. But as a starting point, those are the three critical factors. Yeah. Okay. And... and, and you know, say I've got those three critical factors. Will I need a resource consent if, uh, if it, it all going well? Yes, well, you will. Um, sometimes you will need at least two consents. So if you're subdividing, uh, all councils in New Zealand require a resource consent through the Resource Management Act to subdivide. And there's all sorts of rules around that that we must comply with. And if we don't comply, we ask council to use their discretion and provide a dispensation. And we have to make arguments around... Um, what those rule infringements might be and why they're not so bad. What we're trying to say to council is that even if we don't meet a particular rule or a small number of rules, the subdivision and the dwellings that are going to be placed there in the future or any additional dwellings is going to be a good place to live. It's going to meet the minimum standard of, of what the council is expecting from their rules. So it's the environmental outcome. So the rules are a good starting point and I would always advise to meet the rules if you possibly can, because that makes the process so much smoother. The more infringements you get, the harder you get it is to convince council that they that should grant the ahead. consent. Yeah. But you definitely will need a resource consent for subdivision, to subdivide. Um, so there are subdivision rules, and then you have land use rules, which are about um, how people live. So it's the space around the dwelling for, for car access, for parking, manoeuvring. You know, space for your outdoor living area where you can put your barbecue and you can, you know, play a little, you know, kids can play a game on, on, on a green area, for example. 
these, these are land use rules and there are minimums that were required. So by subdividing a site, you end up with minimizing the land perhaps around the existing dwelling. So it might be that you can't achieve some of these rules. So, but ideally we can, and that comes right back to the first, one of the first points was, is the site big enough? Because the bigger the site is, there's a much better chance that you're going to meet these rules and you're not going to face difficulties getting a consent. Okay, so we've got um, size of the land, we've got the position of existing uh, dwelling on the property um, to allow space to get down the back, and we've got uh, resource consent and land use um, rules to actually yep. comply with. Mm -hmm. Are there any other fish hooks there that, uh, that, that uh, people should be aware of? Uh, Jeremy, there's always fish hooks in, <laughs> in land development, as anybody who's uh, been through that process will know. So, so one of the things that I first look at um, uh, when we sort of get past those that, that initial criteria, I, I, I look at the title. So this is the record of title that, that is issued by Land Information New Zealand, and, that's, and that defines, is all surveyed and defines where your boundaries are on your site. So some of the fish hooks are related to that boundary because sometimes people build fences which are not on your boundary. And you only find that out when a surveyor comes along through a, you know, through a planning process that you wanted to do subdivision. And we find out exactly where the boundaries are and we find that the neighbour has built a fence uh, one metre inside your boundary for a length of you know, 80 metres or whatever. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Because you've lost all that land on the other side of the fence that you actually legally own. So it's not uncommon <laughs> that we can find fences that are not built on boundaries. So that's, that's a, a, a good example of a fish hook. Titles also have what they call um, or, uh, registrations or memorandums uh, of registration on the titles. And these include things like um, covenants, for example, that when the developer first developed the site, um, they put something on that they registered a, a document on that title called an encumbrance or a, or a covenant. And, and those are words that say that you can do things or more, more likely that you can't do things. So if that covenant is, uh, prevents you from putting another dwelling on the site, is that the end of the story? Well, not necessarily. Or most covenants are, and particularly new subdivisions, is that you need, you need new materials. You have to build a house from new materials. You can't transport a second-hand home onto it. Would that prevent subdivision or a new dwelling be placed on your development? Not necessarily, because those covenants are between parties. So when a development is first done, the developer might put these restrictions on title. So the covenant is between the developer and then the person who purchases the title. Now development is usually undertaken by a development company, and when that's finished, the company is dissolved, so there's nobody, nobody to enforce the covenant. So all you then have to contend with is either your neighbours enforce the covenant and they have to do that through a lawyer because they want to stop you from building. Um, uh, but if the neighbours don't care, then the council doesn't care. You have other covenants, which uh, uh, so fish hooks, not so much fish hooks, but you need to understand that some titles have registered documents like easements over them. And easements is just a legal document that says, for example, um, there's a council stormwater pipe running through the back of my property um, when I do subdivision, the front site needs to connect to that sewer pipe, so that connection where the pipe will join to the council one will pass a new boundary, and that document just gives legal right for you to put that pipe in the ground, and if it ever needs to be maintained or, or replaced, you can legally do that. 
Um, other fish hooks, probably too many to mention today, yeah. Jeremy, but what, those are some probably good examples of them. What but I, what but I can hearing. help people, you know. Yeah, in, and, in and what I'm hearing, Philip, is there are, there, are, there are words in here, easements and covenants mm. and um, uh, that are, you know, the words that we don't hear every day yeah. if we're if we're a layperson. So um, these are these are all things that you look into and advise on when somebody uh, when somebody. Yeah. Um, so, what would be the process then if I if I've got a nine hundred square meter site and um, I'm quite keen on actually turning you know I'm sick of doing the Saturday lawns and I'm quite keen on actually creating an investment property out the back. Can you run me through the process that that might actually look like? Yeah, sure. Um, happy to do so. So the first thing is well. Give me a ring, or give someone like me a ring if I'm a you know, planning and surveying company. And and um, those companies generally also uh, include engineering skill sets as well, which is um, um, a, a profession that is you know very much linked with with subdivision as well. And so you ring me and you ask me, can I do it? And we go through those three things. I look at your zoning. I look at the, the size of your lot. And I, if there's a house on the site, and I look where that is. And if it's all favourable, then um, what what um, I would do generally at that point is I feel, feel comfortable that that could happen. Um, I will look at the title and see if there's anything on the title that might be of, of a nuisance or might impinge the development in some way. I have a look at those, I, I get those documents, I have a read of those. And then I say to you, yes, Jeremy, I think you can subdivide, it's looking good. So I'm going to give you a costing. So a formal costing from from um, Chill Company that says, here's the cost that's going to, uh, from start until uh, you get final sign-off from council, which means that you can then provide documents to your lawyer and then get your new titles issued. Now that's a process that can take anywhere from a year to 18 months to two years. So it's not a it's not a short process, so you need some patience. Um, so I give you the costing and you have a look at it. And well, your first question probably is going to be, well, how much is it going to cost? Well, it's like a piece of string, Jeremy. <laughs> it's um, uh, a very simple subdivision where there is no work that's required. For example, you don't need to put any new access in, you don't need to put any... Um, you know, new long sewer pipes or stormwater, you know, and it could start at about $80,000 and go up from there very quickly. So 80000 I would say to your listeners, is an absolute minimum. Expect to pay 100000 and, and, and that includes the resource consent? That and includes the, that and includes, the title? That, yes, that includes everything from resource consent through to the survey being done, uh, engineering, and we'll talk about that probably in a minute, um, and then we and then um, we need to get all the works done. So what happens is that if you agree to the costing, I draft a document to council. It says an application to council for subdivision. I draft that application. I lodge it with council. Council will have a look at it. They might ask me some questions. I answer those questions, and that application explains. Um, we we draft the plan, a scheme plan of subdivision, and we show council on a plan what it's going to look like. We have to the two lots, we have the lot sizes, if there's an existing house, that's shown. Um, if there's an existing access, that's shown. If we require new access off the road, then that's shown. So all the information is actually shown on the plan. The document, the application document, then in words describes that this plan is actually compliant with all the rules in the plan, and we set out, we go one by one, all the relevant rules. So if council agrees with us, they will grant the consent. And that's a major milestone because 
for for and the main reason or well, two main reasons is that is that as soon as council has granted your subdivision consent then the only thing that's going to stop you from implementing that is you if you decide not to do it or you decide to take a little bit longer and you can delay subdivision anywhere between five and, and eight years so you don't have to do it immediately. Do it immediately. Yeah. You, you, there are ways through the uh, Resource Management Act that you can actually slow your subdivision process down once it's been granted. So, um, and the other reason for that is that a lot of people um, also, it's very important they can go back to their bank manager and say, I've got the consent from council now. And the bank goes, that's great, because that is you know, assurance that it can be done and gives the bank some confidence to perhaps loan you some money if you need some money to do the development because the council's granted the consent. So um, sometimes people get a consent granted and they'll sell the site because they're not actually interested in, in completing it. So they'll sell the site with the consent and the person that buys that title um, also would receive the consent because the consent goes with the land, not with the person's name on the consent. It goes with the land. So you could sell your land and you could sell the consent with it. And that tells the person they don't have to go through this process. They can just start to do the next step, which well, is... Yeah. There's two, two, two big things there too. Mm -hmm. um, a, you don't have to wait the, the year to 18 months to um, oh, exactly get right. there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, B, you've avoided what at minimum sounds like an $80,000 fee. Exactly right. Yeah, or more likely more than 80000 because the... Well, well, the fee to get you there, because remember that my fee, 80000 plus to 100000 plus, includes giving them the consent, but it also includes um, meeting the conditions of consent. Aye. All consents will have conditions that says, your new lot, um, say you've got a vacant uh, rear lot, that, then the consent will say, well, you need to put an access in. So this is the next yeah, part of this the is process. The part. So yeah. the consent's been granted, and before council will give you a document that says, all the conditions of consent are required and because you need that document to be able to your solicitor to give that to Linz to get title you won't get title until you've actually done the work that the conditions ask you to do and and the good examples of that work is maybe you need to put a new crossing into the rear site um, so you have to form a crossing so you need to hire a contractor who's going to put a crossing in that costs money um, you're going to have to put some power up to the up to the boundary so you need to go to your power company and we organize that and our company can help you do all these things you need to put in a sewage connection you need to put in a water connection so you know so your three your three or four main services of access and the three waters uh, is, is going to be there um, and that costs money and that takes time which is why I said it can take up to a year to 80 months to two years because you have to finish all these works some subdivisions don't require that amount of work, others do. But generally those four things, access and the three water connections, are almost likely always required because you generally only have one for a start for a section anyway. So once we've, once we've actually gone through that process, and it sounds like a complicated process, but um, this is something that your that chill consultants, uh, if I'm using them, uh, would take care of most of that or be able to point me in the direction to make sure that those things were relatively simple for me to uh, yeah. to do. A absolutely. And I, and I would um, I would advise people who have never done this before would be to employ um, someone like me or someone like Chi or another company and say, can you help me with this? Because it is, it is um, uh, confusing. There is... Lots of legal documents that are involved. There's work, there's programming of works, there's checking of works. So 
um, and we have engineers that are involved as well because if you're going to if part of your subdivision application was to actually also build a house on the back then you, you have to connect that house and so that takes um, engineering to show how you're going to do that so one of the conditions of the consent is always going to be the council wants to see some engineering plans so how are you going to connect to water where are you going to connect to water how and where are you going to connect to sewer how are you going to deal with all the rainwater off your roof and, and, and your new driveway all that needs to be managed and it needs to be managed because the the idea of getting consent and the conditions is that any effect that you create like a new roof and so you've got concentrated stormwater you can't just put that onto your neighbor's property you have to manage it on site yourself and then discharge it to the council's you know road infrastructure particularly in regard to stormwater okay yeah so there's um, a ton of things that actually uh, uh, need to occur um, once they've actually once you've actually complied with all of those conditions of that consent you lodge it with or your solicitor will lodge it with lins and they will issue yeah. a, a title and mm -hmm. um, in a in a in a very simple uh, subdivision that sounds like eighty thousand dollars but is there any sort of you know what would be the impact on my current house if, if I'm slicing half my land off? You know, is 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 there a um, a, a price decrease in my current property mm. because I've just uh, sliced off half my land? Yeah, well, um, people do subdivision generally, um, generally because it actually there is a financial benefit for them at the end of the day once the time once they've paid all their fees and done all the work. Um, and it's cost them eighty thousand, hundred thousand, hundred and twenty thousand, whatever it, whatever the final cost is. Um, that generally means, and if you're on a rising real estate market, then there's potentially yeah, there's a profit margin in it for you. So if if particularly if you've owned your section for a long time, you know, yep. you got a very small mortgage on it or no mortgage on it, and then you can afford to spend another eighty, hundred, hundred twenty thousand on to doing the subdivision. And then maybe that reallotment, then vacant one, is actually going to worth, uh, you know, way more money in the in the current market than it was when you first purchased it, and if you subdivided, you know, 10, 15 years earlier. So this is one of the main drivers of subdivision is the people to try and get a little bit ahead financially. And on an up market, subdivision is a good way to go. It does increase your equity with your bank because you go from one title to two titles. And you've got the ability to to keep both titles, or you could sell one title, you could sell the vacant title, or you could build on the on the vacant title, or you keep the vacant one and then you sell the house in the front, or you rent it out, you know, and you put another house in the back and rent that out and live somewhere else. So there's a whole whole variety of options, but generally on a rising real estate market, subdivision is is, is has been proven to be a pretty pretty good investment. Yeah, so there might be some sort of impact on my current house's value but it's nowhere near yeah. the value that I've created at the um, back so you know, that's right net outcome yeah. is I've got a rise yeah. in value even if I've had a small impact on my uh, yeah. on, on my on my existing on yeah. my existing home I'm, I'm driving around the place Philip and I, I do notice a number of uh, older homes uh, either being toppled or taken off um, existing sections and um, typically duplexes, uh, they seem to be very, very popular and in, in, in a great way of maximising uh, the use of uh, land. Is this uh, something I could do myself? Or why are we seeing such a, a rise in the number of duplexes around Hamilton City? 
Well, um, the, ma the main reason why you've seen a lot more duplexes um, and apartments and is because about uh, sort of eight to ten years ago here in Hamilton City, um, the rules allowed you to, to subdivide and put greater density on your site. So the district plan changed uh, earlier than that even, and it, and it said that before you might not have the ability to do it, the district plan, which actually manages whether you can subdivide or not, and does manage whether you can build a house or not, and it's generally permissive, so you generally can subdivide and you certainly, certainly can build a, on a title. So people took up that, um, that challenge and said, well, actually, I'm going to subdivide. And then you've got people out there who really made it their business. And so they do this on a day-to-day -day basis. So they will go around like you, around the street, try and spot you know, a, a, a house or an older house or a larger section with a house in the right location where it's very old, they can consider taking it off. So that happened over the, in the last eight to 10 years, Hamilton City Council has infilled. So you will see a lot of duplexes and apartments in certain areas of the city. Because remember one of my first points was, and someone asked me about, do I, can I subdivide? I talked about why this is the zone. So we have residential zones in the cities, and then we have residential intensification zones, which means that you could actually do more in that zone than you could in the other. So if you wanted to put duplexes or apartments in, then you wouldn't be looking at general residential one zone for apartment. You'd be looking at where's the residential intensification zone and then start looking for properties within that zone because that will allow you to, to do more, you know, put in more uh, residential units. Um, mostly in general zone, it's, it's two. Uh, intensification zones, you can do more than that. So you have to know. Yeah, this is the bottom line. You have to know that the zoning is important because it allows you to increase or or it decreases your, dens your density potential. And it, and, and it sounds like we we we, we talked originally about um, splitting off one section and you know the complications that came with that and the expense that came with that. And I'm assuming that uh, if I was um, taking a house off and I was putting duplexes on, we're talking about more complications and more expense. So let's say I'm sitting in a home and I, I, uh, I am sort of sick of the maintenance of um, looking after the garden uh, during the weekends and those sorts of things. Um, and I think, well, I, I, I might want to offer my property for sale and I've got a nice large site. Um, you know, what are developers looking for as they, as they wander around the city? Uh, what is it that sort of takes their fancy? Yeah, again, um, they, they, will, they will do the, the do the three things which I mentioned in the first place. Make sure they got the right zoning. If they want to develop more and do greater density, then they need to choose that zone and search for in that. They need to look at the site and ask them how big is that, big is that site. Again, so three things. And if there's a dwelling on it, where is that dwelling? Is it an old one and you can move it off? Um, beyond that, um, it gets a bit more technical and more work is required because what you're the next step is well, where are all the services and you know where are the council services? Where is the sewer pipe? Is the sewer pipe in a good location? Is it close by? Does it run through the middle of my site or does it traverse my site in a diagonal? Is that going to cause me a problem about you know where I can put a new uh, a new dwelling? Potentially, yes, because council doesn't really want you to build over a sewer pipe, you know. Um, so if you have to build over a sewer pipe, um, that costs money. You have to change your design. Um, so the only other option is, well, maybe I need to um, to shut that sewer pipe off into my property and then build a whole new one. So there's more time and more money in that. So 
the further you scratch the surface and the further you go down, the more complex and there are, and there are, there are these more uh, understandings that you need to have in terms of um, how am I going to deal with my water, where am I going to put my water, how am I going to deal with my, my, my sewage. Um, and then other planning rules around it as well. Um, what's around me? You know, um, Do I have uh, apartment blocks or duplexes around me? So it's more likely then that I could probably develop this site amongst all that in the same way. Um, if you even didn't know about zones, then that would be the way to, to appreciate that it's more likely that I could put duplexes or apartments on this site because the neighbours are duplexes and apartments. So, so someone's done it before you. you know. So um, basically, in short, it's, it's the three or four things up front and then you've got to scratch a little bit deeper and, and ask yourself, how am I going to engineer this? Picking up on one of those interesting points, Philip, is... Uh, let's say I'm in a zone where apartments have been built, um, two identical properties sitting side by side might have quite different values given mm. where those services might sit and what the access to those sites might be because a developer's going to look at it and go, well, what is the expense yep. in developing that site? And if there are some major fo uh, fish hooks in one and not the other, that's right. well, that will change yep. the value that mm. a developer would be prepared to pay, I would imagine. Uh, that's that's exactly right, and that's going to, and the developer's still prepared to provide the ex expense of saying, you know, rerouting a, a wastewater pipe at their own expense because the council won't do it for you. <laughs> you have to do it as a developer. And if that gets very expensive or you actually need to because council's going to say to you the water line, the pressure on the water line isn't big enough, so you're going to have to replace some of council's infrastructure to get your water pressure up. And that can cost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. So it's really handy to know um, how well is the infrastructure going to, to uh, can, can my development be serviced by infrastructure? So you have to, I said, you know, scratch a bit deeper and look into it and, s and draw up, um, get someone like you know, our company to draw up a design and have a look at what's there. Um, and then that will give you greater certainty about what your costs might be. And understanding about yeah. where the value of your property and, and might be if you're actually selling it. Yeah, and eventually, yeah, because as a developer, even if you're just a house owner and you want to do subdivision, you, you're looking to try and increase your value. You're looking for a little bit of a profit margin, <laughs> and fair enough, because it's, it's hard work, you know, and it you is. hope the market's going to support you in that. But it's a dangerous game to play if you're new at it. Um, because you can get caught out and you get unforeseen costs and it's my job and people that I work with, my colleagues, it's our job to, to help you uh, avoid the pitfalls of, of that with, given our experience. And just uh, pick up on that and something uh, before we get to, to close. Um, when we came in we were talking about some of the areas in the city that the council had flagged that could no longer be uh, developed because the infrastructure couldn't mm. support it. Um, so uh, even if I'm in an area where there has been extensive development of either duplex or apartments, um, there's no real certainty, is there, that that area can continue to be developed in such a manner at this point in time? No, and it's been a very recent thing, Jeremy, that the council has uh, publicly advertised uh, and on their website, if you know where to look, um, you just basically type in three waters or or, you know, um, infrastructure, and the council has acknowledged that, um, particularly uh, the older parts of Hamilton City, the uh, in-ground infrastructure, so the sewage pipelines, their their water pipelines, and and their um, stormwater pipelines have degraded over time and not been managed, and um, so or, or are at capacity. 
which means that they have now identified areas, and publicly so, some areas to say that if you're going to develop in these areas, you better give us a call first. Um, and to, to limit your um, your liabilities in terms of what the cost might be because you don't want to spend a whole lot of money up front with someone like me and we do a whole lot of work for you and then find out that you actually can't connect to a wastewater which is probably the biggest problem we have in Hamilton City at the moment. So so my advice to, to any person and it is advice that I do give daily is that well let's have a send an email to council you know Ask them, if I wanted to put a duplex or some apartments on this site, um, can I connect? Is there enough water pressure? Is there capacity in the sewage um, council's infrastructure for me to connect? Because potentially the council has identified areas where the answer may well be no. And if, they are, if you cannot connect to wastewater, for example, or water, um, you don't have development. You just won't. You can't proceed. You, you, that's you, stop. You, you can't proceed. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a brick wall right there. And that's reality that we uh, we have faced. For, I've been aware, and most companies that do this type of development work, uh, we've been aware of that. And, and it's always been to the case where we're not concerned about it because we know that the capacity was there. And that's been so for the last eight to ten years. Now the council is saying we've infilled. This is back to your point when you're driving around, you're seeing lots of departments and duplexes. Hamilton City is infilled, and the medium density is what they you know, term it, has been done. Most of it's been done. There's a few examples out there where it hasn't been, and it's getting harder to find a site that you could develop it and still make a, you know, a profit margin on it. Um, so now the council is saying, well, we're at, we're at capacity and, and some areas, and we've identified to you what those areas are in our communications. Uh, online and there are other areas that you could be near capacity so you better contact the council and understand right that up first. front <laughs> we used to do we never used to do that but now it is the most critical thing is essential do. yeah absolutely essential mm. yeah well thanks so much you've uh, um, what I've really liked is you've actually made the process um, really easy to understand and highlighted that there are lots of complications um, within it and it's just essential that it right right early on in the piece, that we make contact with someone like yourself yep. um, at Chill Consultants and uh, get some advice before we, uh, b- before we advance too far down the, uh, down the line. Absolutely. Um, back to our regular feature. We shared it with you uh, earlier, two truths and a lie. Philip, can you please repeat the three statements and let me know which ones are the truth and which one is a lie? Okay. <clears throat> so my first statement was, the subdivision process always requires a multidisciplinary approach. Well, um, if you've listened carefully to <laughs> to this podcast, you you will um, agree with me that that's the truth, because um, it requires people with planning skills, it requires people with surveying skills, and it requires people with engineering skills as a as a basic three. And you can add to that for more um, significant developments where you might have to get traffic engineering, the geotechnical. Um, noise, so it can expand depending on, on plenty what, of people what involved. Doing. Yeah, it's always going to be a multidisciplinary approach. So, um, so my second statement is the subdivision always costs more and takes longer than expected. Well, that's the truth as well, Jeremy. <laughs> Despite my best efforts and uh, and uh, and my colleagues' best efforts to provide uh, costing to you uh, based on our experience and what the current costs are from council 
and what we understand cost of what contractors are saying, that's always about to change because of, you know, um, Inflation for one. In, inflation, exactly. Or or you can't get a contractor any longer because yeah. or you have to wait, you know, forever. And while you're waiting to get your road contract, potentially, you know, the prices of metal have gone up and a whole bunch of other things. Supply chains. So um, so this is why we call it a cost estimate. So this is not a quote that says this is the full amount and you need to pay no longer. Uh, in this day and age, that would be foolish from anybody in my position to say that to you because I just don't know. But it will be better than ballpark, you know. And yep. I can assure listeners that when we give you a cost estimate, we're always very, very close to it. My third statement is subdivision is just a council process that when followed will always result in the desired outcome. Well, I'm afraid that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> and why is it a lie? It's not because I. It, it's because that um, because of all these fish hooks or unknown fish hooks or something that council might come back at us that we didn't know about, um, and then complicates the subdivision process, and then it changes the way that you wanted to do something on your site, um, and the council will force a change on you because they can, and they do. So. Um, Mostly we can get something close to what you desire. On a good number of occasions we can, but essentially it is a lie because things do change. Yeah. And for, for a whole bunch of reasons. Mm. And and we can't promise that as yeah, to be moving a moving target. Yeah. It can never be a, a, a truthful time. So yeah. Right, we'll wrap it up there uh, today. Philip, thanks so much for your insights and the wisdom that you've actually given us. Listeners, make sure you keep your eyes and ears out for our next episode. Thanks for joining us on the Lodge Real Estate Home Truths podcast. Learn more about today's topic and our panel guests by visiting our website, lodge.co.nz.